know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. I think it's less that like Bergman was on the Epstein Island is that Epstein got the inspiration for having his own island from Bergman Island. Exactly. Oh, okay. And and I don't want to say that Bergman was doing anything, you know, too bad on, on that island, but like just the idea of having your own island is, at, you know, because Epstein was friends with Woody. Woody fucking loved Bergman. So Woody was probably telling him, he was like, hey, this is Bergman Island. Yeah. And I guess like when you think about something like Persona and then you think about, you know, Epstein's like excuses for what he was doing as like scientific progress or whatever. <laughs> and like, I guess that's kind of a movie about like, uh, you know, a medical recovery in the brain and, uh, you know, go- going uh, to some great lengths, to some strange lengths for a person to come back to themselves, you know? And I, there's some incest in some Bergman movies, so that's mm-hmm. only a stone's throw away. Little preview, <laughs> little preview of what we might be talking about next week. I went to the the Bergs, Bergsman Island, and I just I chilled in with the staff in the Criterion <laughs> Closet. <laughs> that's what they won't tell you about the Criterion Closet is that it's on Bergman Island, right next to the the creepy looking temple. <laughs> Those videos, that playlist on, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, that's a little flight log for you there. Yeah. Bergman Island, also known by another name, Big St. James Island. <laughs> Big Papa St. James Island. <laughs> the originator. Show Look, credit to Bergman. Yeah. It's more of just like we respect what Bergman had to do. It's like, I'm not a huge fan of Bergman's films, but I understand his place in the canon. You know, you got to break some, some eggs to make an omelet, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 115. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. In our double feature this week, we're going way back. I mean, we're ta- we're talking about a little classic cinema with Bergman, but we're going period mode. We're we're swinging it way back to the 1800s this week on Extended Clip. Thanks, Malcolm, for supplying the f- the the. I was about to say the flying machine, the time machine true i always love bringing the time machine and you know i figured you know 1800s that's why i'm dressed in traditional 1800s peasant garb return to tradition bring it all back to the soil i know it's a little stuffy in the apartment you you want to take off any of those layers (laughs) no no we'll see i i might i was working on a voice but i don't know i guess there were a lot of people back in the 1800s so i couldn't really narrow it down to one voice to speak as but like yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to make this like a historical reenactment, you mm. know, podcast and make okay. it about like it's kind of like a, uh, you know, churn and butter and stuff like, you know, the ways of old. I've been thinking about the ways <laughs> of old recently. <laughs> and that's and that's why I programmed this uh, double feature. I'm just thinking about it, the way things used to be. Well, the movies that we're going to talk about that are going to lead us to inevitably a discussion of the way things used to be. Once Upon a Time in China. The 1991 Wong Fei Hung film by Choi Hark and Daisy Miller, the comedy of manners uh, turned tragic, the 1974 effort by Peter Bogdanovich. Malcolm, thank you once again. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, you know, 
I to be to be completely honest, I guess you know I've been thinking about the future. I haven't really been thinking about the ways of old and the past and all that all that shit. But you know, we we saw this. Uh, you know, the new Beverly. You know, we, we which one? Be- um, Once Upon a Time in China. And even before we decided, you know, what movies we're going to do for the podcast, we were going to go do that. So I'm like, perfect. JT suggested we'll do one of these. And I'm like, you know, sometimes, you know, to get into fashion theory for all the fashion listeners out there, okay. you know, sometimes, you know, you provide the fabric. Sometimes you provide the thread. JT provided the thread and I came with some more fabric with another movie. We and have so many <laughs> colorful metaphors. <laughs> I think like, I don't know, you got to. You got to look back to look forward. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I feel like these movies are so kind of like the very like opposite to each other. So I feel like it's, uh, you know, two different flavors. I'm bringing you guys here. I'm just thinking about what JT said. God damn. You got to look because it's like I find myself doing that all the time. Like when I'm driving in reverse, I'm often looking in the rear view mirror. So I'm like looking back. But I guess technically that's moving forward. Well, I mean, you know, the the perfect world. You remember? Like, I'm technically <laughs> like you, you think about it. Like, <laughs> I, I'm talking about perspective here. I, I'm I'm driving in reverse. Someone else sees me going straight forward, some other direction, looking backwards. <laughs> well, you know, I I was gonna recite Kevin Costner what he says in a perfect world, but it's it's kind of too long for me to remember at what? this point. It's a perfect size mm-hmm. for a boy your age. <laughs> Of course, that's the point you remember. But, uh. <laughs> so, as we said about Once Upon a Time in China, uh, it is a movie about Wang Fei Hung. This is a Cantonese martial arts folklore legend, if you don't already know. There are countless stories of Wang Fei Hung, many of them turned into films. Uh, I think there's like over a hundred Wang Fei Hung films, technically. Uh, some of the most notable ones include. Uh, let's see. I mean, Gordon Liu, everyone's buddy. Gordon Liu played him once. Jackie Chan played him once. Uh, I also just found this out. The 2004 Jackie Chan film, Sammo, uh, or sorry, the 2004 Jackie Chan film, Around the World in 80 Days, Sammo Hung makes a brief appearance as Wong Fei Hung in that movie. Wow. So I definitely need to watch it, if only for that. But it starts with the French misinterpreting tradition as aggression and it pretty much follows suit from there. We see, you know, that they're out on these boats doing this traditional ceremony of sorts. And, uh, you know, you got some Chinese guys lighting up firecrackers. You got some French guys saying, I think they're shooting at us. So they return fire. And, yeah, it, it's basically a story about the impeding evils of colonialism and how kung fu can defeat them all seeing you know only a handful of uh, hark movies before this like this kind of feels like you know all of his like tendencies kind of put together in like a i don't know like in kind of like this epic package where it's like like something like the blade like he's a little bit more wild with the visuals he's a Mm -hmm. little bit more you know a little bit more harsher here and if you know this is still very visually impressive but it like i don't know it, it just feels a little you know, maybe a little bit more combat focused and everything. And he's tackling, you know, these, these issues with like kind of colonialism and like kind of like modernism kind of creeping in. And like, you know, it's like, why are we, you know, they got guns. Like, why are we doing Kung Fu stuff? But it's like, uh, I think Hark makes his reason for Kung Fu in this movie. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? With, uh, so much of it and, you know, it shot so well, it choreographed so well. Just, I mean, yeah, very impressive movie. I mean, look, you can't deny everything 
that the Westerners were bringing over. You know, you you got someone messing around with a camera in here. Hey, how do you think they shot this damn movie? That's true. I mean, you know, well, that's, well maybe imperialism was worth it. Then. I think I think I think that's what Hark was trying to say with this movie. That's it's what like, I figured. I'm glad I took away the right message. <laughs> imperialism, you know, there's pros and At cons. At least we have a camera. <laughs> Well, I think I think that like that's kind of like Hark's way of like, well, I'm not going to just be pure patriot here, you know. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna, you know, nuance the waters a little bit. I'm gonna be like, yeah, you know, I like I like cameras. <laughs> I like dressing up in a suit. Sometimes that's fun. Yeah, I I do like that. It you know in the beginning, uh, and we should say Jet Li in this movie plays Wong Fei Hung, and you got all your friends here. You and Bao, uh, he plays uh, Lung Fun, a guy who is. You know, uh, part of the street gang that extorts money and stuff like that. Early on, we have a confrontation where Jet Li stops him uh, in the middle of the street. And, like, there, there's this huge showdown and everything. And he, he serves justice. He he arrests the bad guy, as he says. Uh, but no one will bear witness. No one will go with him uh, to City Hall to, you know, uh, arrest these people because nobody wants to... Uh, be a witness because of these intimidating gangsters finally you know who will be the witness the man of god you get that jesuit priest who first like he wasn't there but then midway through the movie he's like i will be your witness yeah. uh and it's you know another thing of like just muddying the waters a little bit making things a little more complicated this is kind of funny you know about this movie even like maybe even beyond mudding the waters maybe just you know novelty effect but it is like you, we have so many inva- like forces here. We have the USA are here, the Brits, you know, the French are here. You know, we got the the priests or whatever. And like these like white characters in the movie like are just funny as fuck for the most part. And it's just like especially when like like they put down their guns and like they want to show off some of their kung fu too. Like it's just message of just you know kind of colonialism kind of like seeing these conflicts i mean you even get a little bit of like the usa britain conflict on the side Mm -hmm. you know while china has their own conflicts and uh yeah like you said it just it it, there's so much going on here and like I, i think uh you know all the different countries represented it just you know makes everything more interesting yeah i love that i feel like cultural it's there's the movie starts pretty low, like at a, t- a pretty yeah. <laughs> terrible low point where China's being just fucking carved up. And like for Wong Fei Hung, especially, it just gets even fucking worse throughout. And I love that, like, I don't know, it's such an epic scale and it really like makes the stakes really high by like taking it to pretty pathetic lows. Yeah, and I feel like every fight, whether it's the actual stakes of the plot or just the way that Choi Hark shoots it, escalates so much from the last one. I mean, we mm-hmm. really should say that this film is a martial arts film to its core. This is like, yeah, there, there's no like training sequence or fighting tournament or anything <laughs> like that. It's just, it uses uh, th- this grand sweeping historical narrative to bridge you from one fight to the next pretty much. And it's so amazing in that regard. The, the fight with the street gang early on that I described is so great. That's where uh, the, I don't know, I guess Jet Li's ability to just completely change his momentum mid-air with his kicks is revealed. Where he has this one kick where he like jumps up, kicks, and then kicks again to kick the guy in a completely different direction and uh, someone like off screen you get a subtitled dialogue he just used his famous swift kick uh, which is always awesome to see shit like that but i don't know it feels more 
focused on the acrobatics almost uh compared to something like the blade uh it it focuses more on the bodily acrobatics and i feel like the camera is often matching that too whether it's like once in a while you'll get those like uh wides where you can just kind of see everything which breaks up the intense medium shots and the shots that are you know moving along with the people and i don't know it's just such a great cavalcade of motion of character and camera and cutting uh within each of these action scenes that as i said feels like one just builds on top of the other you know you're learning the people's abilities in one scene and you're seeing them unleash them in the next almost no yeah and like narratively it feels like the fights start to compound and compound or whatever where it's like Mm -hmm. You know, the like earlier in the movie, we have a fight sequence, you know, some plot, maybe a little 10 minutes of plot. Then it's like we got another reason for a fight sequence, whereas like towards like the last 45 minutes, we're just going from, you know, fight to fight to fight. And it's yeah, like, all the it's pieces are set. Yeah. And then it's just yeah. like you can just let it fucking go off there <laughs> at the end. A great fight is uh, when the w- one dude who like uh, leads one of the gangs shows up in th- th- with this opera ensemble. Uh, and so you, you get a nice little uh, you don't even see much of the opera show. It's like midday. Uh, old-timey Chinese opera stuff that Choi Hark is just shooting around as much as he can, seemingly, uh, just showing all the pieces in motion. You're just like, oh, fuck, there's going to be an action scene here, isn't there? <laughs> and uh, it, it's like the ultimate guns versus fists moment of the movie, too. You even get some, like, guys some of uh, Wong's disciples picking up guns and not knowing how to use them, essentially just using them as combat props. And uh, it's, it's so fucking sick. And that is, I believe that scene is where the 13 auntie gets kidnapped first, or is she taken when they burn down his clinic? I'm going to be honest. It's hard. It's hard to remember. Folks, we watched this movie. We, you know, we talked about the blade. I'm sure you could tell we didn't fully comprehend every plot point. Troy Hark's narrative is not always the most clear-cut thing, <laughs> but anyway, uh, it comes to that the who we think is the thirteenth aunt, uh, or you know she is, but they're not blood-related. Her and Wang Fei Hung, they have you know this tumultuous uh, flirtation throughout the movie until she is kidnapped uh, and she's being held and uh let's see there there's that guy iron robe yim who mm-hmm. wants to challenge him and then so he's like kind of holding it down in this dungeon where she is being kidnapped and then uh un bao's character is like eventually sympathizing with her even though she's captive in a place where he's kind of a head honcho because he saw her get sexually assaulted by one of those guys so that's when he flips and joins the good guys which you know always a great moment in an action movie where (laughs) the the guy you just you love on the wrong side of it but you just love him so much joins the right side iron robe kind of pops out of at least in in my head feels like it's over an hour into the movie yeah just pops up he's like i want to be the man like i'm I'm, you know i'm tired of uh well because he's a fellow master from elsewhere and he's just like oh so wong fei hung's the dude around here all right let me fuck him up and they fight mm-hmm. in the rain at Wang Fei Hung's clinic and there's something just about the texture of like the rain and the fog and the camera movement and just everything is soaking fucking wet that scene is my favorite like one it's it's the true one-on-one set piece of the movie because even uh, as they fight again 30 minutes later that's intercut with so much more group fighting this is just a master class of one-on-one kung fu oh the way the shot where they like focus in on the feet just like swishing Mm -hmm. around in the water it's so beautiful no yeah and like when 
the fight is happening at that clinic like that's at like at the point of the narrative where there's like so much going on he's like he like he's hiding people at the clinic and mm-hmm. like police are coming in now he has to fight like iron rope he's dealing with like three different things at once and it's like uh you, you don't exactly it's like i wonder where where this is gonna go like yeah. it's gonna go down the more political thing that it's been going down or and it kind of meshes both in a very good way and i like i like the iron robe character is like a good juxtaposition to wong fei hung because mm-hmm. i think it's interesting like you know every fight you get in jet Li is gonna like fucking kick ass and really rock cock and he does but he's kneecapped by his principles and like <laughs> justice and that i feel like usually like sort of settles down the earlier fights as he's trying to keep peace but just you get the i don't know contrast with iron robe just uh selling out working with the thieves and True. whatnot you, you could be a good master or a bad master the choice is yours and he's pulling out a blade during fights you know he's not fighting fair you know he's exactly he's got a lot of talent he's got a lot of talent but he's got to learn you know to respect the rules yeah because i believe it's in that first fight you see wong get cut and like not fully like get it kind yeah. of but it's in this flurry of action and there's all this stuff going on with the narrative where they kind of stop fighting in the middle and Yim's like, I mean, that's a dub for me, you know, like he, <laughs> he takes it as a win. Uh, but then when Wong and his two buddies, uh, I, we forgot to mention that Jackie Chung's character is called Buckteeth So and his running gag throughout is that he has a massive stutter except when he speaks English where he's perfectly fluent. Excuse me. We have an appointment in this restaurant uh, with Mr. Jackson of the Sino-Pacific Corporation and General Wickens of the British Forces. I presume they would have reserved a table for us so we could begin to discuss this matter more leisurely. This is my master, Wong Fei-Hong, and I'd be grateful if you could show us the table. This way, please. The boys come in uh, disguised as Chinese prostitutes for the colonialists to fuck, I guess, uh, to go rescue the 13th aunt played by Rosamund Kwan. And so you just have this crazy, you know, siege set piece, uh, three on a hundred, whatever. But you also have people fighting each other. As you said, you have the British and the Americans fighting. And you have these different Chinese factions fighting because you have the street gang who's kind of playing in to the colonialism for extortion purposes, I guess. Uh, Not totally clear, but, uh, you know, I trust Choi Hark's script. Uh, (laughs) Then you get, the ladder fight. What can you even fucking say? Uh, it's so fucking sick. You're just in this, you know, castle, dungeon, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Iron Robe Yim and Wang Fei Hung are fighting on ladders. Just the most, like, leaning into the acrobatics. Just going fully trapeze mode. Using these huge three-story ladders to lean from one side of the room to the other. Jumping off and hitting swift kicks here and there and punches and that's when it's revealed that yim has a blade uh hidden and uh you know he loses what what can you say wong fei hung is victorious and they end up getting to the ship and it's so sick buck teeth so saves the day by as they're loading the cannon to fire at jet lee and just kill him with a fucking (laughs) ship cannon buck teeth so uses his perfect english (laughs) Uh, misdirect the cannon and have them just fire it into another European ship. Probably the funniest gag in the movie for me too. Like I got got a 
full belly laugh for me. Yeah, because they're going by like you know seven ten. He's just like actually four ten, right? and then they <laughs> blow it up. And like that's that's what's funny like about the white characters is like their voice is always like kind of maybe like over distinguished. Kind yeah. Of like, well, it's a classic nineties Hong Kong yeah. American guy thing, but or American slash British guy thing. But then here, I think it means the most out of any of those movies. Like yeah. there's always like in, in the John Woo movies and stuff like that, like a lot of the big nineties Hong Kong action movies, there's like some bozo British or American dude. Uh, but <laughs> I feel like this one really leans into those dudes being the worst, which yeah. is awesome. And they get like, they talk a lot too. You know what I yeah, mean? They like a they're, lot they're, of yeah. screen time. They get a lot of screen time. I mean, they get fight sequences. So yeah, it, it is just, it's funny how that's used. And, yeah, to speak on the ladder fight, like it's one of my favorite aspects because I see this in other kung fu movies too. Kind of like the fights with like whatever's in the room or using like a certain aspect of a room to have a fight. You know what I mean? I, you know, to speak on like because uh, Once Upon a Time in China two, you know, screened right after this, I caught it or whatever. And there's like a, a fight sequence in that where it's like primarily like use using tables and stuff like that and like stacking them and throwing them at each other and splitting. You know, in the same way how like. You know, ladders, you know, you're going back and forth between like these ledges or like they're set up in like a way to where they're like stacked like a Jenga thing or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like I, I just love a specific use of like, all right, this is the ladder fight. We're going to use as much ladders as possible. What are some different ways? Just how many ways can you use a ladder? And mm-hmm. that's how it's answered in that scene. Uh, any final thoughts on this one, JT? Yeah, I'm going uh, four and a half bullets. Uh, this is uh, a real classic. I love it, and just the way like it sets the mechanics of like an action movie, like all the pieces really tie together in like an effective way. Like you have so many things like introduced in the beginning, it like leaves you guessing where it's like, okay, like what's the main like antagonizing force? And I feel like there really isn't any. They all just sort of get like roped together uh, against Wong Fei Hung, and it's just so impressive that like I, they are able to call back like little things and little details and just weave it into this beautiful tapestry of action. Like you get the uh, tease of what's going to happen with the like big British brute in the beginning where you see him like throw a bullet at something mm, earlier. The muskets, yeah, the musket ball is, oh, God. <laughs> and then it's just like, of course, it's going straight through that dumb motherfucker's <laughs> dome. And it's just sick. It's like you know that like the things they're setting up are going to be used. It, it just fires on all cylinders in the last like 30 minutes and is so insane, crazy, and fun. Yeah, I mean, the the musket thing is as much of a definitive statement on kung fu being better than guns as you can get. Like, he <laughs> gently just has the musket ball and is able to flick it with his fingers with enough power to emulate that of a gun, and it just goes straight through that fucking British dude's eyes <laughs> with just... So, oh, man, Choi Hark shoots that headshot so fucking perfectly because you get the longer angle of it actually happening, but then you get that perfect shot of him like falling down and as he hits the as he collapses on the floor, it's like that perfect overhead close up of his face with the bullet right in the middle of the frame. <laughs> Just fucking perfect. And I know I mean like I, I want one of those uh white guy 
in a non uh, yeah, non American yeah. movie roles. I mean, we talked about getting Malcolm <laughs> into Bollywood, but the, I think this is the future for all of us. I think we need to do something like this. This, this is something I've been thinking about recently. If I could be kind of like a, a white Bollywood star, you know what I yeah. mean? Because just to kind of to fill a market, you know, it'd be it could be the the corporate fat cat who's ruining everything or something, yeah. you know. If you need a villain or just you know just a goofy guy to laugh at but uh i will be taking dancing and singing lessons soon so it's <laughs> gonna we're, we're gonna work on this it's not gonna become i don't want to hand it to me <laughs> bullet rating on this one uh four and a half bullets i mean what a, you know great movie i mean and like what you're saying jt about how like it's kind of unclear what like the main antagonistic force and it's just like i guess it's just long just fighting against all this change all this modernization it's not like you know, it'd be easy if, you know, if he just had one guy to fight and he could beat him up. You know what I mean? It's not that easy. There's so many different forces working here and so many, you know, people within his own community. It's like, OK, I might work with these darker forces because, you know, I'm not getting anything. So if I work with them, so it just becomes, an you know, kind of an entangled mess of morals. And he's the last righteous man left. He is the last righteous man with, with uh, you know, and, he, you know, he fights his way to to glory. And, I, you know, I for like a. Like a, a kung fu film, I, f- I feel like the politics of this are like uh, you know so complex, complex in like in a way that are more so than you know any side of type of like action film in yeah. general. So for that, I you know I get I give it two big thumbs up, Ebert style. I'm, what about you? Uh, I'm going full hog five bullets here. This might be my new favorite Mark film. It was. Just- I don't know. I can't say enough about it being rousing. I would like every time the crowd in the new Beverly started applauding, I wanted to raise to my damn feet. And <laughs> it was like, I was more hyped up leaving that film than I've ever been. And I think a lot of it has to do honestly with the Wong Fei Hung theme, which we'll obviously go to break on as it's like some of the sickest music ever in cinema. Uh, but I, I don't know the combination of, Choi Hark really landing this grand sweeping narrative, even if the individual details of it like are kind of lost on me sometimes. Uh, the, the grand sweeping narrative just pays off in such a perfect way. And obviously each action scene is a masterpiece like of its own, just in its little uh, existence as a five minute scene or whatever. And also it's like the last two reels, the last like 40 minutes are just all action. Like there's just nothing but action for those last two reels. And I was just losing my mind the whole damn time. So uh, shout out to Choi Hark, shout out to Jet Li, shout out to the, the, the beautiful, resilient people of China. Five bullets, goodbye. Oh, well, I mean, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> office and like it's just being like just saying like there's needles everywhere my apartment's been broken in like mm-hmm. seven times in the last hour and then it just has like it's just a very dramatic soliloquy 
and then like she does not appear in the rest of the episode it's just like <laughs> it's just like it's just being like damn things are fucked up and like her giving a speech in the middle of the office like even Vic's like peeking his head out it's like what's what's going on and like it's just like not related to the story at all and then but, you just get like a little silence and then yeah. No, I was gonna say. Also, like, I feel like the episode ended on a very like somewhat solemn note. Yeah. Like, I think it's like Vic kind of dealing with his kid having autism or something mm. like that. Oh boy! Once yeah. that plot develops a little more, you're gonna lose it. Dude. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and then it just goes like, oh yeah, like yeah. just like that, yeah. that theme song I dropping could... at the end of the cold open, but especially at the end of like somber episodes <laughs> gets me so fucking hyped up. It's so funny. It, like. If you walk into my house, you know, you'll just hear my roommate Scott just entourage on repeat go, oh, yeah. And then <laughs> the shield going, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a very high pass. We're back on extended cliff. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you? Every time you, you say that the Malcolm in the middle life is unfair, I just have to give like a solemn nod. It's just like, <laughs> you know, life is beautiful, of course, but it is unfair. And uh, <laughs> a Benini. <laughs> That's true. That's if, if I were in the Holocaust, I'd like to imagine myself as kind of like the, the Malcolm in the middle of the Holocaust. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you got your freaking wacky brothers, <laughs> and your, uh, the know-it-all. I know where this all ends. Um, but uh, <laughs> oh no! Uh, I was about to make a really bad joke about Malcolm's friend who talks really slow. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I was just say he knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, no. well, well, well. To get off, well, to get off that well. that junk, as we were talking about, <laughs> none of that junk. Um, <laughs> I watched. I watched it's a clean show. It's a clean show. So that's why I want to use my platform to talk about "Stalked by My Doctor: Patient's Revenge." <laughs> yes. Um, he's back. The stalker doctor is back. Eric Roberts once again, killing it in a double role. In a double role in this one, where. The plot is, you know, doctor got off clean from his last case. So he's teaching at a university. Cancel culture. It's on the rise. Wow. And so his former victim is going to that college, funny enough. And, you know, she's none too pleased about that. So gets a petition to get him, you know, out of the school. Kind of works. But, you know, he kind of meets another college girl there. And, you know, they kind of start to have a relationship and the dual role is, you know, we're getting we're getting inside the psychology of uh, Dr. Albert Beck. And he's, you know, he's playing, you know, he's doing that thing where, like, you talk to yourself, like, angel, devil, conscious mm-hmm. stuff. So you have Dr. Albert Beck, who's, like, a <laughs> guy who likes to kidnap college girls. And laid back Beck, someone, you know, someone who dresses like JT, essentially, like, just a more laid back guy. Just, like, he's chilling. Dude, the second you pointed at him, I totally <laughs> saw Eric Roberts' face on JT. <laughs> JT kind of has an Eric Roberts thing. Yeah, if you go back, go, go check out the Ambulance, uh, Larry Clark movie, Eric Roberts is the lead. I'm not saying he has, like, a mullet. Like, it's something I feel like you could pull off, you know oh, what I mean? Thank you. If you wanted to go in that direction. But, um... You know, he it laid back. Beck's like, "Come on, man! You don't need to kidnap this girl." <laughs> He's like, oh, "I don't, I don't know. I should do it." And so you just get a lot of scenes of Eric Roberts kind of talking to himself at like two very cheap looking, you know, costumes. And uh, I don't know. These these movies are very like self aware. You know what I mean? And not to the point where they're like obnoxious or like unwatchable, but mm-hmm. like they know people are in it for like kind of like campy fun. And there's, I mean. 
there's like a musical sequence in here that's like obviously referencing La La Land. That's just, it's God awful. Wow. Like, and, and it's like, I can't even give it, you know, the benefit of the doubt here. You know, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple turns here where I was just like, you might be pandering a little bit too much. So I think there's like five of these things. This is the third one I've seen. So hopefully we're not, hopefully it doesn't go down <laughs> to an unsavory route, you know, too much meta referential stuff. But as of, as of this point, I enjoyed watching it. it it's it's kind of towing that line, and it's I don't know if 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 you know what a lifetime TV movie is, and you get enjoyment out of watching those. I mean, this is this is a fine series. Wow, I you know going back to last week's Malcolm in the Middle, I think we need to do a stalked by my doctor Jesse Stone double sometime. You know? <laughs> Tom Selleck and Eric Roberts taking up these really weighty roles. You know, true. And I, I follow Roberts on Twitter. I like. Like, like a month ago and he 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 loves doing this apparently like he's That's awesome he's interacting with the fans you know people are liking it so good good for roberts um it's you know it's funny watching these it's totally i mean i expect this but it, they're just like you could just tell certain scenes they're like let's just get this done yeah <laughs> let's just let's just wrap this the fuck up and that's that's like a funny thing to me in itself sometimes <laughs> You could just you could just feel like the scene just you know being pushed out the door almost, <laughs> but you know it's it it's worth it to have Roberts do weird, horny stuff, have weird conversations with himself. Uh, lots of, yeah, lots of fun. What about you, JT? Sometimes the beauty of life is that it is unfair. True. Um, and I feel like the movie that I rewatched uh, this week reflects that a lot. It's uh, My Darling Clementine by John Ford. And at the moment, I would say this is probably my favorite Ford, but I don't know. There, He has so many masterpieces. It's just you, a different day, I, I pick a different one. It's hard to say, but that's really inessential. My favorite part about this movie is just like, I don't know, those beautiful, tragic moments where I feel like you get the sense of like past or like these characters lives could have there there could have been something else or there are like missed opportunities sometimes it's fun to like go on to like craigslist and read like missed connections of course <laughs> yeah. or just see craigslist posts in general like i mean it's an old thing i like but... the other part of craigslist <laughs> i like that part no. i think they tried to take that down but I, I think i think you go to the the section you were talking about you people kind of posing misconnections <laughs> like uh you know i really missed you the other day here's my sorry sorry to, <laughs> no, sorry, okay. sorry to, I, don't I, I really <laughs> i really missed that guy who was gonna come over and sit on my head yeah. for five hours <laughs> i mean who wouldn't miss that right yeah god i missed you on the subway you were gonna come over to my house and treat me like a couch <laughs> Uh, wow. but, but Ford understands wow. the beauty in things like that. And I think that um, Does he? there's like, I mean, especially yeah. the relationship that uh, Wyatt Earp has with Clementine in this is like, for the most part, just, I don't know, stepping around flirtation or he's like very clearly in love with her but never like directly yeah. broaches it. And I mean, my favorite scene, I think, or my two favorite scenes in the entire movie 
are just uh, Erp and Clementine uh, like walking through the town with the bells ringing out of the new church and they go to that dance there yes. and it's just like it's something it feels like they're getting married but like you're not you're not fucking seeing that scene Dude, in this movie it's depressing like, the way Fonda as Earp uh, dances in that is so reserved but he's dancing so hard too it's like the perfect embodiment of his repressed love for her because he's a fucking cowboy hero he knows what he needs to do it's not fall in love with a young girl save the damn town you know it's gonna be a shootout at the okay damn corral uh but you know it's just like the the poetry of life the dance and the love uh ford is always so good at just like stabbing you with that when you think you're in an otherwise dark situation just such a beautiful scene exactly and i think holiday's character in general is like a big reflection of that like intermingling of like pain and beauty in life because another i mean all-timer scene is uh the shakespeare that's happening in the bar and uh i think the guy performing is a little too drunk to uh (laughs) carry through with it and holiday like takes over and they're just like little moments there where it's like his past before he like went into a life of crime and you can just tell there's like this tension and resentment there like especially like he slams his fist or like destroys his degree at one point and uh i don't know it's such a powerful beautiful sad movie that i don't know is amazing in the way that all great fords are i also love early on when wyatt earp is like sizing up that poker game to figure out like who's who kind of uh, I don't know. It's just such a great, like, almost like a classic, like, cop movie kind of thing. Or I guess it, back then, you know, uh, with sheriffs in westerns, but just like his control of the room, his very unassuming control of the room in that scene is so incredible. And I'm going to talk about another uh, another sheriff with an unassuming, <laughs> well, maybe a very assuming control of the room. His name is Vic Mackey, and he's played by Michael Chiklis in season four of The Shield. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, as we were talking about coming back from break, I did finally finish up the Glenn Close season of The Shield. Well, it's not just the Glenn Close season, it's also the Anthony Anderson season, and it's also the Michael Pena season. So, um, you know, to not spoil anything for Malcolm, season four starts with Shane having a new partner, uh, won't get into why, but it's Michael Pena who goes by the name Army because he's fresh back from a tour in Afghanistan. And uh, a, a great encapsulation of his character is when they go seize some stuff from a drug lord's house and he sees these like tricked out machine guns and tactical gear. He's like, man, I wish we had this shit back in Iraq. Like uh, <laughs> just complaining about like uh, the the inefficiency of his uh, time on duty. It's just like, you know, I was just taking out some bad guys there, figure I'd come back, take out some bad guys here. And he's just so defeated by it. And uh, it's hilarious how individualism triumphs for him as he just fucking like, you know, Malcolm, I hope you forget it by the it's time you get to the season. Good, he kind of just ditches them. He's like, yeah, no, I, I'm in it for me. I'm looking out for me. Fuck you guys. I didn't I didn't take a bullet for any of my troops in Iraq, and I'm not going to take one for these fucking other cops. Uh, and it's so awesome. Uh, Glenn Close, classic cop shit. She's just like the most evil, like, uh, 
you know, posing as like a kind of socially like liberal mayor, but or not mayor, sorry, uh, uh, police captain who clearly wants to be a mayor at some point if she can, but uh, just throwing it at everyone's face, you know, look, I'm the only female captain in this district, like always saying stuff like that. You're not going to fire the only female captain in this district because she's too hard on crime. (laughs) (laughs) But the uh, her main arc in the season is this policy that she has, her pet policy, which is this uh, asset forfeitures shit, like where she's basically, if they can even sniff out that property may have been paid for with drug money, they seize all of it. So they're just like, taking all of these and it turns out some of them innocent black families houses and just selling them on public option just like putting people out on the street and she's just like look the seizures are working you just don't see it yet and she's just (laughs) saying that the whole time and you know you got anthony anderson fresh out of prison trying to be like a reformed man like preaching this uh motivational kind of wisdom uh of pure respect (laughs) which is awesome and he's just talking about respect the whole time (laughs) which is awesome because he is just as dirty as he ever was uh, as you find out like two episodes in (laughs) and it's just like the dirtiest season yet i keep saying that every season but they keep going (laughs) further down the depravity rabbit hole you know using dogs to torture people which is great because it also uh the the first episode i think starts with uh, a cop getting fucked up by a dog yeah. uh, and then later on in the series or in the season they use dogs to torture people my favorite thing though <laughs> is this <laughs> this rapper character uh who is uh being charged with some stuff his tapes being what does him in but he does a very specific type of media he makes a combination of rap video and hardcore pornography video he he raps while he's having hardcore sex with girls like over his songs uh, or lip syncs i guess and it's just the novelty of introducing that character and his business model is so funny and just like uh i don't know there's just so much good stuff in this season it just keeps getting better and better it is like (laughs) you know i'm like i've seen seven episodes of the shield that's as far as I am at this point. And it, it is just funny how just pitch fucking black this show. Mm-hmm. Just like relentlessly too. And yeah. in a way that's just like, like I kind of need to, I'll watch, you know, maybe two episodes a week. Cause it's just like <laughs> 47 minutes of that. And it's just like, I don't know. You'll have fucking Walton Goggins pissing on someone he pulled out. Just like multiple, just awful things you yeah. know, that, uh, that happened throughout the show. And you're like, I forgot that happened. Like, 20 minutes ago or whatever but hey man that's what cops are really doing that's what cops are really doing so i say that it is joke voice when it's like actually what cops yeah. are doing. it's it's the most horrific thing in the show is when they try to uh just like show how fucked up these guys are even if they're getting the job done or whatever and then they just show things that like you've seen twitter videos of and you're like yeah. oh boy that's that makes it a bit more haunting for sure so yeah vic Mackey, thank you for keeping the streets safe <laughs> and uh do what you have to do I got two sick kids, all right? <laughs> <laughs> That's I I mean I I hate to I like end of episode 7 I watch, you know, where I think one of the higher ups is like trying to get him to pinch Shane cuz they you know, they got caught doing some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell Shane's like I'm not giving up on you, Shane. I was like Damn, Vic, solid. What a solid guy. Oh, absolutely. What a solid motherfucker. Absol- and you'll want to give up on Shane. Shane <laughs> does some shit, man. Shane's, <laughs> Shane's a screwball. He's a screwball for sure. Walton Goggins is the Shane character, by the way. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. Uh, now I'll walk you back. Oh, no. I'm going to meet Mr. Giovanelli. Uh, must you? Of course. He's waiting around just somewhere. 
Well, I'm certainly not going to help you find him. Then I'll find him without you. I'm certainly not going to let you leave me. Are you afraid you get lost to run over with your lollipop? Sit still for one goddamn hour. <laughs> Just kidding, Scooter. You can you can do whatever you want. No, I think I think you need to <laughs> stay in line. Yeah. Actually, yeah, she does need to stay in line. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's a good dog either way, though. Look at her. I mean, well, it is an audio medium. Maybe we shouldn't say things <laughs> like "look at her." <laughs> oh, look at her face. We're back on extended clip, and if you just love cute dogs, <laughs> why don't you subscribe to the Patreon? <laughs> No dogs are mentioned, really, but that's another opportunity for you to hear Scooter off mic. Yeah, maybe I'll talk about my dog on the Patreon episode. Only Probably on the Patreon. not. Only but on the Patreon. Maybe. Uh, we do a bonus every every week. Duh. Talk about another movie. If you didn't know, some people are new to the pod, didn't know. We didn't plug it last week. Patreon.com slash extended clip. It's only two bucks I feel a like month. we really fuck up there in like the, our bigger episodes where we have guests and things. Well, True. we want to get in and out. We don't want to waste our guests' time. Uh, <laughs> These people <laughs> grace us with our presence. It's not like they're our good friends or lovers. You know, they just, they just grace us with a brief period of time. At this point, man, we got to start. We got to start squeezing something out of them. <laughs> <laughs> It's a hundred episodes in. <laughs> Daisy Miller is our B feature today. And it's not very much of a B movie. It's quite hoity toity, isn't it? Yeah, I guess, you know, uh you know you know, kind of intellectual dumbasses as I like to call them, you know, they'd see this lineup, they're like, Daisy Miller should be the A movie. Once Upon a Time should be the B movie, but I saw Once Upon a Time in China first <laughs> and Daisy Miller second. So Well also Once Upon a Time in China is like a sprawling epic. No, yeah, not like ex- sprawling, but it's it's an epic. No, ex- and this is a smaller story. True. You know, it's it's shorter, like it's just a it like there's not as much significance to it. It's just about this one guy, you know, he's like he's interested in a girl and kind of just the you know, the silly follies along the way <laughs> that he experiences trying to get there. And I guess I guess that is a universal struggle, but it, it is you know it's just one just one guy's feelings here on the line. It's just this is what they needed male soul uh, in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> I gotta say that now, it, he would not be such a bitch if uh, if that type of motivation was out there. You're talking about Frederick, the main character. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to I have to say some of his mannerisms kind of reminded me of Bogdanovich himself. Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, like Bogdanovich in The Other Side of the Wind or in Targets, kinda. Uh, I feel like Bogdanovich was definitely doing some mimicking direction. Like, no, do it like this, and just kind of. <laughs> Uh, but he directs the hell out of him for sure. I think it's a very good performance for what the movie calls for. Uh, as we said, Frederick, he's this uh, American. Whoever thought an American boy like him would end up in Geneva? But uh, that's where he was living. And we also have the American family, uh, the Millers. Uh, we have Daisy Miller, played by Sybil Shepherd, as the the young lady who's very flirtatious with all the men, and she just loves society. Uh, unlike some of our other friends that we visited on the pod, she's a big fan of society. <laughs> I mean, society's working for her. You know, she's uh, meeting men in various ruins across Rome yeah. and uh, just hanging out with them. 
uh yeah yeah she's a she's a real she's real active or a promiscuous or you know maybe not maybe not you never know yeah is, is she promiscuous or is just the conservative perception of her exactly you know blowing her prom- promiscuity out of the water well we'll see by the moral ending of the movie <laughs> <laughs> we learn the real truth because it is a, it is a story that was written by henry james i guess uh contemporaneously is that the right word like it, it was written when the thing takes place you know yeah uh and it is, hey, maybe it's one of Eric Romer's moral tales and you're supposed to learn something from this movie. Um, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, like, I couldn't help. Like, it is, like, somewhat, there's, you know, other aspects it's playing with here. But it, like, it does have a lot in common with, like, Claire's knee and where we're just kind of following this one kind of pathetic guy around as he tries to, like, woo this girl to to no avail and that's a i don't that's a I pr- mean, that's funny stuff he's not even really trying to woo her it's like that's i think the most sad part <laughs> is that he's just like he's all he's edging to the point of like oh man am i gonna flirt with her <laughs> no true it's funny because like you know miller and the the millers you know the whole miller family they talk at a you know pretty rapid pace you know some some might call it annoying but you know um Daisy, you know, oh, she. Th- by the way, for those who haven't seen it, yeah, this m- script has to be like 150 pages <laughs> condensed down to 97 minutes. They speak at such a rapid clip. Especially, I feel like in the beginning, like the Millers speak is even more like kind of uh, stylized. And I kind of, I kind of enjoy that kind of getting dropped, you know, a little bit more as the movie goes on. Because as much stylized dialogue, you know, it's, I mean, it's in so many movies, but like the way presented here so heavily the way it hits you with so many rapid lines and lines and of, of course the point is it's supposed to be kind of annoying or whatever but it's just like at a certain point you're just like i just don't want to hear this yeah. <laughs> anymore but like like i said it that kind of gets dropped but it's uh it's uh the, i don't know it's when, it's a funny aspect of the movie how, what a smooth talker the the millers are or just the way they talk it say. gets you into that like obviously the old hollywood screwball field that i think mm-hmm. bogdanovich is like clearly he's a yeah. guy who loves the classics mm-hmm. yeah it's like uh he wanted to make what's up doc as like a screwball movie and it's like well it's set in the contemporary times so then he makes daisy miller and it's like well I won't make it set in classic Hollywood era. I'll go back even further than uh, <laughs> since I couldn't do it in What's Up, Doc. Just make up for lost ground. You know, set it a hundred fucking years ago. And uh, yeah, you still have some stuff reminiscent of What's Up, Doc. Like her little brother, the little prankster that clearly uh, t- takes a page out of Bugs Bunny's book uh, 50 years before Bugs Bunny ever graced the screen. Uh, or I, I think it's like 1870s that this is set. But he's like just pranking everyone in the beginning. All the people at these hotels at this hotel keep their shoes out so he's just like swapping all the shoes and like sticking out his buck front teeth and just goofing on people constantly that's it's another, pretty awesome that's another link between these two movies is buck teeth buck teeth that's characters true. that's true <laughs> buck teeth so and uh randolph the the little bugger that frederick kind of takes a liking to like uh yeah they, they have a nice little like uh not like older brother relationship but you know he he teases him for being so un-americanized he's like you don't seem american you seem like a german uh, and it is funny how the little kid definitely talks more like a turn of the century american kid rather than a late 19th century uh you know hoity-toity rich kid in europe well yeah and and like frederick's reaction to all of them talking is of course hilarious as like you know kind of like we'll try to get a word in and like once you know his word is in it's like 
it's just so relevant. He just wants to like establish some sort of ground in like in these conversations. And like it, it is funny just like how much he has to take a like kind of conversation. Like, Cause like, as he said, JT, he's like flirt, not, he's like not flirting with her, but like kind of he's, he's, yeah, he's towing around the arena. You know, he's always hanging around her and like her family, which is so funny when like he has to talk to, you know, Mrs. Miller and you can just tell like, he hates every you know single second of it. he's like obviously just there for daisy but like he kind of has you know he's a little too well-mannered but like not well-intentioned or mm-hmm. whatever and like you know just stiff as you know daisy says uh throughout the movie a real stiff guy and it's just i don't know yeah i guess you know letterbox descriptions like a comedy of manners it's like this guy's like kind of like weird respect for like kind of society rules is kind of like mm-hmm. preventing him from having any fun with daisy who obviously does not regard like like she enjoys kind of like this high society life but she doesn't give a fuck if like other americans would be like she's with the new italian today or whatever because there's so many people who seem to live miserable lives in this movie who just sit around and be like i think daisy's fucking a new guy today and and it's just it's funny how you know she's kind of she has that that fun life and everyone's just kind of just living that that dreary 18th century just being like she shouldn't be doing that just pissed off that some <laughs> other person might be getting dicked down They're not like, even knowing for a fact it's oh fuck maybe just getting flirted with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's probably yeah just some innocent innocent kisses you know what i mean with a a, a tasteful that. a tasteful umbrella covering it, you know what i mean and they're just like geez she needs to she needs to go yeah needs to get the wall <laughs> um so they they have their little first date uh away from the hotel they take this little day trip uh on a boat uh, into Xion's castle and uh you know he he's like showing her around this castle and it's so insane this is really where i got on board with the film more so kind of a little bit of a slow start maybe the stylized dialogue just wasn't quite there for me uh you do get the funny scene after that though where in the hotel the the like bathhouse part of the hotel <laughs> where Frederick is like talking to his aunt in the, in the bathhouse, and then you get these like two guys like fucking playing chess on a floating chessboard, which is pretty funny. But on that little castle date, you just get this guy like playing harmonica like it's fucking Once Upon a Time in the West, <laughs> which is so funny to me. They just pass this guy by, and then for the next four minutes, you just hear like the echoes of his harmonica as he's giving her this tour of the castle. You know, he paid off the tour guide to go fuck off so he could just show her around, kind of. And he even like recites this poem that was based on that castle. And as he's reciting it, she steps into this pool of light, and it's like the visual poetry oh, and the, you know, prose poetry. Word poetry or whatever, uh, combining perfectly, and I don't know. Bogdanovich just has these flashes of absolute formal brilliance that match both kind of the subject matter and just like what's actually happening in the scene, uh, rather than just like the the thematic subject matter. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of touch and go on the whole. Like some scenes don't really do it for me, but then some scenes it's like as good as I've seen from him. There's kind of like an aimlessness to this movie. Whereas, like, oh, like, I, I, you realize, like, I guess the whole movie is just going to be him trying to get with get with Daisy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I feel like, yeah, that does kind of, like, since there's, like, there's, and I feel like maybe that aimlessness, like, is intentional to, uh, a, you know, t- to an extent. But, like, 
it, it does kind of like, I don't know, like you do kind of feel the lack of push at times. Mm-hmm. But that being said, like I just find these situations just kind of very funny. Because like even when he's like, you know, given his tour, you get the visual elegance from Bogdanovich. And like yeah, there's kind of like a staid style here. But there's there's some small tricks here and there. And like you said, like just some, especially once we get to like, I, I feel like the ruins or whatever. Like he, he really kind of gets in his, you know, visual uh, trick bag but he kind of does that thing sometimes especially with the conversations where he'll like start wider and then kind of like push in from an angle i like that stuff but uh you know even at, as he's giving you know his informational tour and his romantic poetry and daisy miller's just like not like you know just kind of like teases him like oh isn't that you know quaint or whatever and then like I've, like it's just the funny like the flirt dynamics of it just him being like completely pissed off at that reaction like not trying to be like playful back just being like it's like oh damn she got me <laughs> just like just kind of having like just that kind of completely disarming him in a way that uh leaves him with nowhere to go is just it's just funny stuff yeah i mean i definitely like share the critique that both of you boys have where i feel like it does like it's it feels like to what end like what he's trying to accomplish at times but I think overall with, I don't know necessarily the whole way for me, but I think um, the type of dude that Bogdanovich is and like <laughs> with this slick, like sort of like classic style and the subject matter, I mean, I think it like it's an interesting enough interrogation of like being someone who's like clearly obsessed with the past. I mean, in Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich's case, like classic Hollywood I think it's enough of an interrogation to be like, okay, well, like there are a lot of detrimental aspects of these times, particularly like repressive uh, qualities. Yeah, absolutely. And so they they split off uh, after he says something nasty and then meet again at a house party in Rome uh, where kind of the, the society and the perception of Daisy Miller kind of starts to play a factor into the movie as the, the gossips are all about at this party. And, you know, we meet her new Italian friend, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, Giovancini or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Something like that. And, uh, it's pretty funny watching our man Frederick get cucked here as they take this stroll through the park. And by (laughs) the way, the, the stroll through the park and like these outdoor courtyards and stuff Bogdanovich's staging is so insane in this because he usually will just have kind of a fairly basic thing of tracking the characters walking or whatever but the second you start paying attention to the background actors Mm -hmm. and the objects within the frame that he's passing through and reframing and stuff it's it's pretty fucking meticulous you know Mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed the the scene where they're watching the the puppets too I mean Mm -hmm. partially just because it's like you know, you were talking about like, you know, we need to get a male soul. We need to give him Instagram, this guy, get him following the male soul, male's life, money motivation pages, motivating Joker, motivating Joker, all those motherfuckers. And like, you know, get him on that grind set. But at the same time, it's like, you know, what's the most entertaining thing he could do? I guess he could go pursue another woman. That's probably the smart thing. But it's just like, you know, uh, you know, it's like go see a puppet show or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like. I guess he's just following this to his end, but like to get back to the puppet show, it is like, I love how like he's like not enjoying it at like at all. And then he like, you know, gets a glimpse at her watching it, seeing her enjoy it. And he kind of gets some enjoyment out of that. And it's just, I don't know. Like that's, it's a, it's a, I think it speaks kind of like the funny situation he's in or whatever in a very particular way. Just him, 
just just not fucking with this puppet show at all. He's like, well, at least I'm like right next door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that moment is important for how the film shows them kind of flirting because it's like this film, obviously, uh, 19th century repressed society using fast talk, big word speech to flirt. Uh, but I think the, the, everyone's favorite style. Yeah, the, there's, there's something really instinctive about the way he shoots, um, the way Sybil Shepherd looks at the Frederick character. She's not looking into camera, but he usually does it by the setup of a shot reverse shot. So you'll see him and then you'll see her and the way that she looks, you know, just past the camera, just to the side of the camera, looks like she's staring right into you kind of or or like right into Bogdanovich's camera, uh, despite it not being straight into the lens. And I don't know, it's a weird form of like visual uh, representation of eye contact uh, that I feel like is kind of specific to the way he shoots this, or at least it's just like the way Bogdanovich kind of lingers on those shots of her eyes staring right into him, even though you don't see his receiving end of it is really special to me. And um, I don't know for, for me, it's like Sybil Shepard. She's a really great actor, but sometimes he gives her a bit of a mouthful in this, like the, the, uh, the opening, especially like some of that dialogue a bit much for any actor to pull off, you know? And it's funny because apparently this was uh, accused of being like a vanity project for her from Bogdanovich. And he said, if I wanted to make a vanity project for Sybil Shepard, it wouldn't be this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Which, very perceptive of himself there. Because, yeah, like, it would be the heartbreak kid (laughs) just a couple years later. But, yeah, I think that connecting this with the heartbreak kid, like, her style of kind of flirting just by a glance in those movies is really powerful in juxtaposition to this being such a dialogue-based movie. He then follows her around a little bit, you know, intrudes on her date at the Coliseum with the Italian boy, (laughs) which I love that scene. Him, like, strolling around the Coliseum by himself feels like it's fucking Antonioni, even though I'm pretty sure Bogdanovich, not a fan of Antonioni, feels kind of similar there, honestly. There's, like, a scene in, like, uh, what do you call it? I Don't Want to Sleep Alone that looks exactly like that. Like, we're, like, just looking over, like, all, like, this decay. Of course, it's, like completely different context or whatever but it just seeing him amongst like i don't know like these ruins is just yeah it's it's some uh good imagery there um yeah we see some more scenes the italian guy you know uh <laughs> you know playing piano with her struggling to sing pop goes the weasel as he says <laughs> <laughs> when the night walks in as black as a sheep and the hand that it makes and past the I feel like maybe this is something he's going for, but there's so many scenes where it's just like um, Frederick kind of just hangs out with her and just has to do experience dumb shit like that. And it's just kind of like just like him just trying to stick around, I guess, his version of flirting. But it's just it's it's putting him in a lot of like boring and uninteresting. Yeah. No, it's hard to watch someone be like that passive for yeah, like yeah. too long. Um, it turns out that that night at the Coliseum, that fateful night, she caught Roman fever. Thanks a lot. Uh, promiscuity. Uh, yeah. and so he, you know, goes to visit her. You know, can't even, she can't even be seen. You know, she's like, uh, the, the mom's just like, the mom says something that she said, that was sweet to him, you know, that she actually wasn't engaged or something, but it was like just the barely 
barely leading on that maybe she had a little bit of flirtation for him even. <laughs> and he takes that as like, you know, and, and so we then see her fucking die. But he sees Rip. that as uh, just like, if I were to, you know, show my feelings <laughs> for her, I think she would have... Uh, would have showed him back for me a little bit. But I love the way that Bogdanovich shows him finding out that she dies. He just like goes up to her hotel with a bunch of flowers and then the oh door slams. Oh my God, that scene is so beautiful. And you just see it through a window that's covered by this like red kind of like paper thing blocking out the sun or whatever. And uh, this like red shade, I guess. And I don't know, just it being trapped inside that and not hearing the interior dialogue you can kind of hear the word mort at one point i was like oh that means dead (laughs) uh and then it just like fades to the funeral you know and then you just get that insane pull back uh from him standing over her grave feels like the camera pulls back 200 fucking yards uh as he's talking about you know i guess she probably did like me maybe i could have gotten that pussy after all (laughs) isn't that like isn't it like in conversation with his aunt too yeah that's true makes it so so much more funny to me that he's like going back to his aunt's like yeah i think i might i might have have a shot or whatever but yeah it's that ending shot is so crazy because it is like there's something very tasteful and it makes a lot of you know just classical sense of like having the death scene kind of like through the window and not hearing most of it as you know you've heard these characters talk you know a million you know miles a minute throughout the movie and and then like like uh it's still like a beautiful shot but it's like there's something like almost it kind of reminded me of Samino or whatever kind of like this I don't know, this other feeling where like it zooms out and then it like fades to like angelic white or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it it wraps like that's it's like it's kind of like a sick outro for like a guy being like, I could have gotten pussy one time, but (laughs) but she died. Oh, well, I really liked what you had said last night after we had finished it about like it being like if like bringing up baby end with them just getting into the car and drowning yeah <laughs> oh what's up doc oh mean? what's up doc yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah um yeah i i like it maybe a tiny bit less than what's up doc maybe because i just love that comic energy and that commitment to that looney tunes feeling but i still think this is a really strong movie it absolutely won me over by the end is the ending immoral that hmm. like uh, she died because she was promiscuous maybe in the 1800s it was but i think bogdanovich is going a little uh you know a little deeper than yeah. that uh i'm gonna go three and a half bullets on this one i think it's a really good movie i'm gonna go four bullets i thought it was super funny and like i kind of just kind of meshed with its kind of miserable dry humor and uh yeah, I think the lead. I what's Frederick? We're, I feel like we're usually referring to actor's name, and I don't even know the actor's name here. But the Frederick performance is like, since since he doesn't have to talk like that with the stylized dialogue, he kind of gives like a little bit more measured. I mean, it's like you know a lot of scenes of him following her around. It's like I don't know, just a uh, it, it's a good tone there. Um, he does with that performance, and yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I want to pull up his name. The internet is very slow right now. So JT? It's just not. Oh, did you already? No, I didn't oh, say. Okay, okay. But I'm going to go three and a half bullets as well. Uh, yeah, great time. Uh, like, I was surprised how much the end like pulled the rug uh, from underneath me there. Because I was just like, I don't know, it's so playful. And I think like by design like that, you're not expecting something with this screwball True. energy to like... I don't know, get so bleak there at the end. I mean, because he does set you up for like, oh, well, she's going to get better. And then he's going to and she he she gave him that like hint that like it's all ready to go. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Can't even get that. Um, Questions? Yeah, we do have an email this week. You can always reach out to us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com for everybody's favorite segment, the email segment. I'm glad it's back. I feel like it's been an episode. I don't know how long yeah, it's been. Inbox has been a little dry. Well, I'm just happy. I'm just happy to have something. Well, yeah. if you remember the last time we got an email, this one will sound quite familiar. Uh, this one comes from Jack Hansen. The subject line is JT goes full Armand mode on a Will Smith classic. Uh oh. <laughs> it's always a thrill to listen to you guys talk about some iconic films. You all bring some great discussions to the pod every week. It's hard not to see. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, it's not hard to see that you three are on your way to being podcasting legends. Yeah, but not reading legends, clearly. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> legends, JT did it again. Oh, no. He gave I Am Legend a half-star review on Letterboxd. <laughs> awesome. Look, I haven't seen <laughs> I Am Legend in about seven or eight years, so I have no German Shepherd in this fight. I'm just here for J- the JT hot takes. <laughs> Thanks for the quality content. Have a blessed week. Is this guy making fun of JT? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be, again, another uh, lukewarm. I don't remember re- particularly watching this movie. I do have some memories. Like, I don't know if... Place yourself uh, in your own mind's mm-hmm. eye. Where were mm. you when I Am Legend came out? I don't know about you California boys, but I was on the East Coast in probably like elementary school late elementary yeah. school middle school and this movie was like popping off like people loved mm-hmm. i am legend like and i finally get around to this it's on like hbo i'm like off sick one day it's incredibly fucking boring and that's pretty much my entire memory of it is just that like there was hype all around school about i am legend and i didn't really care for this one you know what it's, you know you used uh the term California boy quite harshly there. And uh that wasn't meant no, to be no, harsh. No, I, <laughs> well, you know, I'm just I'm just I'm just so insecure. I just take everything <laughs> as an insult. But um what do you call it? You, you, I I literally think I, I had like a mission project. I was in fifth grade and I had like a mission project and I had to go to the San Rafael mission and uh back in one day because the drive was doable. And Not the first time you've <laughs> talked about your project with the San Rafael. <laughs> San Rafael. Your mom helped you, right? Yeah, mom helped me out and we watched uh, I Am Legend and she got too scared so we had to turn it off. Wow. <laughs> What'd you think? Uh, in the 20 minutes I saw, I was like, I wanted to keep watching but you know, that was a while back ago. Yeah, that was a while I, back ago. I remember being pretty bored watching that. Also, I think on HBO on a sick day, JT. Nice. Uh, didn't catch it in theaters. Watched it in middle school later on. And yeah, it was just like, I was just kind of waiting for the end the whole time. I was kind of interested by the premise at first. And then I remember being very bored for an hour. And then seeing what happened at the end and being like, oh, poor dog. <laughs> <laughs> Had to sacrifice the damn dog. Why Why you got to do that? Come on, man. <laughs> just let, let him create the new world of dogs. Is that what happened? Isle of Dogs? Is that how the movie ends? No, he kills uh, the dog. Oh, uh, okay. So he can eat it. <laughs> Is no, that how it ends? no, I think it's because he thinks the dog got infected. I remember like it ends in some sort of like, there's some plastic and like a lab. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's it's a like, lab there. There's a, some lab shit going on. Oh, he found the lab leak, all right. Lab leak. is. Yeah. It's kind of like when we find out who... Yeah, uh, that, yeah, COVID. yeah, yeah. That's where I was in <laughs> the lab they invented in, which they tried to tell us they didn't. Okay, but it turned yeah, out. Yeah. To be okay, 
extended clip after dark starting early. The sun has gone down and there's no lights yeah, on in no. this room, so I can't even see Malcolm's face really. Maybe I maybe I am legend, you know. Wait, who's I saying have to expose that? The, <laughs> the secret tr- the, it's a secret man who comes and tells the truth, the dangerous <laughs> truths. <laughs> So uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode, everybody, because <laughs> it's the last one you're gonna get. There's no so there was there wasn't really a question in the email. It was just a guy saying, "I saw JT rated a movie a half star." Well, pick next time. Fucking pick a movie that I've seen. Like, I mean, I guess you don't know when I, the timeline of you when can, I've no, seen you can movies. pick activity. Like, click on activity, and for that, it would say, like, JT marked as half star or whatever. Yeah, pick something that he logged a diary entry for. Yeah. Yeah. Do a yeah. little more research is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Those that is I do like them saying you went Armand mode. I like want to go Armand mode. Yeah, it is. Like a lot of people don't know this but we're related. That's oh yeah, I forgot cool. you guys have the same last name. White. Yeah. <laughs> How did it take me this long to realize that my two best friends have the same last name? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast because we'll have another one coming out nice. on Monday, a bonus episode or Tuesday, a bonus episode. Uh, do you know what it's on yet? I was like, we do have a bonus. Oh, the, the Patreon episode. Yeah. Is that what you mean? No, I do not have that picked out yet. I oh, I can't <laughs> wait to find out what it is. <laughs> can't wait. I always forget that. Yeah. I've, there's further stuff. I, well, yeah, luckily, I'm picking the main feed next week, which means that the listeners can know in advance and maybe watch the movies. <laughs> Sorry to the listeners um, about a- that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wanted uh, I wanted to take a trip with you guys. Uh, I want to go. I want to go to Sweden. I'm just gonna say it. Okay. But travel restrictions are so cuckolded right now. That I think rather than importing ourselves, we need to take the greatest exports that the Swedes have ever given us. And we know what they are. ABBA and Ingmar Bergman, correct? I was going to say, I can't think of another Swedish person. The guy who did Ikea? Ikea. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. What, John Ikea? What's his name? (laughs) I can't get a name. I believe it's Bjorn Ikea. Bjorn Ikea? uh, Anyway. It's Bjork. Is she Swedish? (laughs) We're going to be talking about Ingmar Bergman's Smiles of a Summer Night, and ABBA's musical, the movie adaptation of it, Mamma Mia. Yes, I know this film is set in Greece, but it is still a celebration of Swedish excellence, even if ABBA does not sing on the soundtracks. And I'm going to have to listen to Meryl Streep and Pierce Brosnan sing some of my favorite songs. I can't wait. I, I've never <laughs> I think seen... it might be a fun time. Yeah, yeah. no, honestly, like people really like these movies. I've never seen them. Love that fucking group. So uh, yeah, can't wait. Let's extend the olive branch. You know what I mean? That's let's like a, extend the abo branch. Exactly. Goodbye. A, if you change your mind.